I want to invite you to go ahead and please open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And while you're doing that, it may come as a surprise to some of you that today marks the beginning of Thanksgiving week. Anyone else just like an utter shock? Like, how in the world is it Thanksgiving already? Ready or not, the holiday season is upon us. And so what this typically means is that there'll be a lot of preparations that are made in the coming weeks. Um, Many in the room are probably going to uh, be getting prepared to travel. Raise your hand for me if you're traveling somewhere this week for Thanksgiving. Just show of hands real quick. Anyone going out of state? Hey, so that's a big deal when you're making the journey across state lines. And so we do hope that it's somewhere where the weather is on your side and are thankful for that. For that, We also know that with the preparations during this time of year, sometimes it involves putting up a Christmas tree and Christmas decorations. Raise your hand. Anyone preparing to put up a Christmas tree this week? Can you get a show of hands? Okay, we got a few people out there who are being honest. And, and this is the real question. Artificial or real tree? Okay, so um, regardless of whether you're doing it this week or a following week, when you put up your Christmas tree, raise your hand if you're going to put up an artificial tree. Can I, can I see your hands out there? Okay, boring. <laughs> boring people. All right, now, if you're someone who has to have the real tree, I mean, you got to go, you might even go cut it down yourself. You have to have that smell of evergreen just pervasive throughout the house. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to cut down the real tree. Go ahead, let me see your hands. Yeah, loud and proud. Yes, got to have the real tree. Well, for the record, Victoria and I have an artificial tree. But I I will say that they do sell this little um, scent now that you can buy, the evergreen scent. And you can actually spray your artificial tree with it. And you, you can have the best of both worlds. Other preparations include um, getting prepared to, to buy Christmas gifts, right? Um, the Black Friday deals commence this week. Pre-Black Friday deals uh, start up. And so you'll be making preparations to deal with the busy parking lots. Unless, of course, you just order everything on Amazon and just have it shipped straight to their house. Maybe that's the, the better way to go. All of these things are preparations that we make so that our time spent with family and loved ones is special and meaningful. And it's with this theme of preparation in mind that I wanted to take some time to feature the unique opportunity that we're going to have to minister to those in our families. It seems that every year around this time, my heart is burdened to to share Christ and share the gospel with unsaved family and friends. And I know that I'm not alone. Many of you carry the same burden. How prepared is your heart to minister to others this holiday season? Have you taken any time to prepare how you can have the greatest spiritual impact as you spend time with people that oftentimes you don't get much time with? Are there any specific ways that the Lord might have you be prepared to let the light of Christ shine, which serves as the title of our message today? Seriously, what are some ways that you can be prepared? Oftentimes, 
The holidays are filled with so many physical distractions that when it comes to making spiritual preparations, they get compromised. In God's providence, the passage that we've arrived at in Mark chapter 4 couldn't be more appropriate to get us focused and have us be prepared to serve as witnesses for Christ this holiday season and really all the days ahead. It is the parable of the lamp starting in verse 21 of Mark 4. And let's read it together. And he, Jesus, was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Well, before we tackle our text, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the Gospel of Mark, and so it will bless us to go ahead and get reacquainted with the context. Jesus has been teaching this growing crowd that continues to follow him, this massive crowd, and things have escalated to the point that he's even had to go on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, step into a boat, a floating pulpit, if you will, and to teach from there so that there was at least a boundary that would provide enough space. We talked about the logistics of that, and that there was a a natural amphitheater. It's been understood that there was a natural amphitheater in this location uh, on the Sea of Galilee that allowed Jesus to speak to literally thousands of people. The crowd consists of multiple layers. Some are true followers and seekers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but many are not. We talked about this. There are those who are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ under false pretenses. There were especially those who were of the scribes and the Pharisees who mainly showed up just to take special note of his activities on the Sabbath and what it was that he was teaching. Many people were only interested in seeing miracles as if Jesus were some sort of circus attraction. Others just wanted their physical needs met either by healing or receiving the free food that Jesus supplied. So by now, Jesus has seen the consistent makeup of the crowd, and he knows what is ultimately in their hearts. Because he is God, he is able to directly see into the heart of man. His disciples, on the other hand, they didn't have this insight or capacity, nor does anyone. And this is why the scriptures exhort us on more than one occasion to be careful how we judge another person. Because we cannot see the motives of the heart. God alone is the perfect judge because he sees all the motives of the heart. He sees the motives of your heart, my heart. And because of the fickle nature of the crowd, Jesus opts to teach 
in parables, which we've already learned, allowed the Lord to disclose spiritual truths to those who were sincerely seeking him while disguising truths from those who were seeking him under false pretenses. The first recorded parable in Mark was the parable of the soils. Jesus uses it to instruct his disciples by helping them to see the different heart responses that they would encounter when preaching the gospel. And we spent a couple of Sundays on the parable of the soils because it's that significant. It allows us to have insight that that only belongs to the Lord. It allows us to see what we're up against as it relates to the heart of man. We spent two Sundays on that parable. The chapter of of Mark chapter 4 also involves Jesus sharing three more parables. The parable of the lamp, which we're going to focus on today. Then the parable of the growing seed. And that's followed by the parable of the mustard seed, which we'll get to in the days ahead. I share all this because there is a progression in our Lord's teaching. He is, he is progressing and sharing these parables even in a specific order And whenever you come to a parable, it is always contingent on the preceding context. And we need to understand that. There is a connection between the soils and the lamp as it relates to the hearts of men. As indicated in your notes, the parable of the lamp provides two principles of application so that you shine the light of Christ more effectively in this dark and lost world. And this is exactly what we want to do as believers as the holidays approach. Amen? We we want to let the the light shine. Notice again that I said principles of application. There's only one imperative or command that Jesus gives to his disciples. But as we'll see, there are a couple of principles that allow us to consider other New Testament commands beyond the context of the passage. The first principle of application that will allow you and I to truly let our light shine, or excuse me, let the light of Christ shine more effectively in our unbelieving world is featured in our opening two verses. We want to exalt the light of Christ. How do we do this? First, we want to exalt the light's position. Jesus begins with the physical illustration of the lamp, and he begins by asking some rhetorical questions look at verse 21 and he was saying to them a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket is it or under a bed is it not brought to be put on the lampstand if you were living in galilee any family in the ancient near east would have understood the 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 clear uh, illustration of what Jesus was sharing here. Before the days of electricity and light bulbs, people, especially those who lived in the ancient Near East, used lamps as their primary source of light. And I actually went online to find some pictures so that you could gain a, a little bit of an understanding of, of what they look like. And these are just some examples. And you'll notice... It looks like something that should hold gravy on Thanksgiving, doesn't it? It's something we've <laughs> but um, you'll notice that there's a, a hole right there in the center that 
provides access to a reservoir, which typically with the smaller lamps would only hold a couple of tablespoons of oil. And then with the larger lamps, you could, you could fit much more. And then on the end is a spout where they would actually stick a wick down into that would absorb the oil, and then they would light it. And then you see on the back end, there's a little place for the hands to grab and they could carry around the light. Now, some of these were really small, and if we go to the next slide, I wanted to give you an idea, because um, that's pretty tiny right there. Uh, Lydia and Sophia would definitely want one if they saw this. They're, just, they're so cute. But um, what's, what's interesting is even something that is that small could generate some, some very good light. It could give off light so that... Uh, people could see. And so what they would do with these little lamps, oftentimes throughout their house, there would be these little crevices on the wall that they would be able to set these, these, uh, these lamps up. This next slide, for those who had a little bit more money and uh, were a little bit well off, they would have lamp stands that would be throughout their house. And so everyone in the ancient, ancient Near East to who Jesus is talking about totally understands. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of a mental picture of what they would have had in mind as Jesus is sharing this illustration. Everyone Jesus was speaking to knew how to use a lamp. They understood that where it was positioned determines how effective it would be in darkness and the impact that it would have for the people in the house. Practically, lamps were used to bring light to what was hidden in darkness. They were also put in the most strategic places. No one takes a light-giving lamp and would put it under their bed. No one takes a light-giving lamp and hides it under uh, a basket. Or in some, your translation might say a bushel. And they had special baskets that were actually measured out a bushel. So those terms could be used interchangeably, a bushel or a bushel basket. And no one would take a lamp Right? And then hide it underneath. It would not make any sense. The physical illustration is straightforward. and something that everyone would have grasped. But the question that needs to be answered is what spiritual purpose was Jesus trying to communicate through the parable? We need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the light giver. He is the lamp in this parable. And there are exegetical insights that help us to see this. In parallel passages in Matthew 5.15 and Luke 8.16, both preserve the saying, in the, and they place the lamp in the object, objective case. Mark, however, makes the lamp the subject of the sentence, and it appears he did this for theological reasons. In the Old Testament, a lamp is a metaphor for God. In 2 Samuel 22.29, King David says, for you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. God's word is also considered a lamp in other verses. Psalm 119, verse 105, which says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, which we can draw a parallel to when Jesus Christ in the New Testament in John chapter 1 is described as the word becoming flesh and that it dwelt among us. Not only does Mark distinguish the lamp by making it the acting subject, but he refers to it with the definite article. He's talking about the lamp. He's not talking about a lamp. 
It's specific. He then, yeah, one commentator shares these particulars signal that this is no ordinary lamp. The image points to Jesus as the implied agent for whom the lamp is a metaphor. Jesus is the lamp of God who has come to bring light and revelation. End quote. He then goes on to cite John 1.5 and 8.12, which both refer to Jesus as light. Jesus is pointing to himself. In the same way that a physical lamp is lifted up and given its appropriate place, the Lord Jesus Christ is the spiritual lamp that must be exalted so that people can see spiritually. Christ cannot be hidden. And the gospel calls everyone to put him in his proper place. It calls us to put him in the place of preeminence, even in our daily lives, every day. He is to be in that place, in that exalted place. You can't imagine your life, and we experience this sometime when we have blackouts, when the lights go out. Not easy, right? We immediately turn to what? Other sources of light or something that can generate light. And the same is true in your life in Christ. He has to be exalted each and every day to the right position to to give off the light. He must be held high and lifted up. We exalted it just in the singing of the songs that we sing. We're so focused on the light. Here's how one pastor described it. I recently spent a whole day tucked away at a local library. It was a golden spot, quiet, secluded. I sat beneath a shower of grace, an open Bible, a hungry soul, a copy of Owen's book, The Glory of Christ. I spent several good hours there reading and praying and preparing for a sermon about Jesus and his glory. It was easy to walk close with Jesus alone in the library. I left that spot and within an hour found myself quickly ushered back into the mess of everyday life in the form of my defiant three-year-old and her younger sister who really needed a diaper change. This isn't me, by the way. I know, it's, it's a little eerie how the parallels are um, so, so similar. He says, I long to be back at the library, tucked away from the mess and the headache of real life, that is, until it dawned on me that in the middle of such a mess is where I really live, and that Jesus wants it that way. This is where most everyone lives, and if the supremacy of Jesus doesn't land on us here in the mess of the everyday, then we'll spend our days oblivious to its wonder. I didn't need to escape back to the library. I needed Jesus right then and there. He goes on to say, Our lives are not polished and shiny and set up on a mantle. They are cluttered and complicated. We get tired and frustrated. But the preeminence of Jesus can't be an out there sort of thing that we save for special days at the library. We must bring this home to the everyday. And one of the simple, simplest ways to do that is to talk about Jesus a lot. We should talk about Jesus often and be clear about his identity, resisting every temptation to make him peripheral, secondary, or assumed. And we may find that talking about Jesus often brings his preeminence to have a deeper bearing on our lives. It helps to remind us of his role in two things that we deeply care about as believers, the gospel 
in the glory of God, end quote. I appreciated this insight from this pastor, not so much so because he relates to my life stage. I think it, it helps us see with, with clarity just kind of the, the reality of our lives, especially with the holiday season that's coming. Our lives are cluttered. The holidays don't help. They are complicated. There are pressures. We are tired. We do get exhausted. Yet, we shouldn't allow the light of Christ to be something that's going to hide underneath our dining room table when we celebrate Thanksgiving. And we, we cannot allow the light of Christ to be something that remains hidden as we're decorating the Christmas tree or putting up Christmas lights or shopping for presents or all the other things that come along. We need to be purposeful to exalt the light of Christ by exalting the light's position in our homes and in our conversations. Amen? Amen? We do. We do. Light is a tremendous gift. Can you remember when the light, when the bright light of the glorious gospel broke into the reality and exposed the deeds of darkness of your sinful past? Can you remember when the Lord placed his light and his life within you? If you can, then you know the value of that light. It must not be hidden, but we must exalt it to its proper place. How can we let the light of Christ shine? First, we exalt the light's position, and second, we exalt the light's purpose and power. Look at verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. What had just been said by way of physical illustration is now being expanded upon. Verse 22 is a double statement stressing the idea of purpose. The underlying principle is that when things are hidden, the intention is that in due time they will be revealed. Things that are precious are hidden in order that they may not be abused or misappropriated by those who do not recognize their true nature or function. In our house, and we have four children now under the age of five, we hide things all the time. <laughs> it's necessary. And those, uh, there are many in our congregation that can relate who have had young children. And, and why do we do that? We hide things because our children can't comprehend the value of many items yet. They, they don't. But, but they're hidden in order that at the proper time, they may be brought forth. And it's important to note here that things that are never um, brought forth, okay, they're lost. Okay? Things that are never going to be brought forth again, they're lost. In the same way, in the context, Jesus, when referring to a secret, is, he's talking about something that's never going to be known. It's, it's not going to be known. A true secret, a true secret is never meant to be told. So Jesus is sharing this parable that would eventually be understood over the course of time by his disciples as progressive revelation is is unpacking and, and revealing the reality of the lamp. It is with 
this in mind that Jesus was trying to point to his person and his work. He is the lamp. Here is how D. Edmund Hebert expresses it when explaining this verse. Prudently, the parabolic method now hid the mystery of the kingdom from those outside. But the intention was that it would be made known by his enlightened disciples. They must not think that he intended the revelation to them to remain secret. The kingdom of God, as embodied in Jesus' person and ministry, was now a veiled revelation to those outside, but he intended that later it should receive a glorious manifestation through the ministry of his followers. The full content of this revelation could only be known and understood after his death and resurrection. Believers today are blessed to know the gospel, to know the truths of the gospel in its full disclosure. Unlike those who are hearing this parable in real time, who are just getting things in part, we have the privilege of getting it in its fullness. And when we exalt the purpose of the light, we're exalting man's greatest need, to be reconciled to God. And it's a ministry that's described for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a ministry of reconciliation that calls us to be ambassadors in verse 20, to plead with the unsaved, to be reconciled to God by pointing them to the light of Christ and the truths of the gospel. In that verse, it's literally we're, we're to beg them. Are you prepared to beg and to plead with unsafe family and friends this holiday season? 2 Corinthians 5.20 would have our hearts engaged at that level. That the time is short. That tomorrow isn't promised. That, 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 that death is coming. The reality of death is coming. It's approaching. And in order to escape spiritual darkness, someone must come to the light of Christ. Yet only those who understand its purpose will be able to expound it, to, to explain it to them so that they can understand its purpose. We are to witness to them by exalting Christ and the gospel as we work in conjunction with God's will. We also need to exalt the light's power. The end of verse 22 also implies that the light has power. When the light of Christ shines, it reminds you and I that it holds the power to reveal things that are hidden. The light that Jesus came into this world to display not only reveals the hidden things of God to man, but it also reveals to us hidden things about man, about the reality of who we are. The light of Christ through the gospel reveals God's holiness while simultaneously exposing man's sinfulness and his need for forgiveness and repentance. And this is why so many people have rejected the gospel message. People, you've heard this illustration before, nothing new, like in, insects and creatures of the night. When the light shines, they do what? They, they, they scatter they're out of there. They flee the light that shines. Why? Why? 
Because, because Jesus gives us clarification. He says because their deeds are evil. Because they, they're compelled towards the darkness and not to the light. Yet every person who is born again can testify of a time when Christ stopped driving them away from the light and scurrying away, but by His grace it stopped us right in our tracks. And God gave us eyes to see within that light. He gave us gospel clarity. He allowed our hearts to be born again. He allowed our hearts to be drawn to the light, not driven away from the light. The light has power. And this is what we hope to witness when we exalt the light's power to unsave family and friends. And you know what? Sometimes I think if we're just being honest, we, we, we feel like we're the, ones, we're the ones driving them away. Can I help you with that? No, no you're not. You, you, you're letting the light of Christ shine. And they're, they're, they're driving themselves away. They're, they're, they're scurrying away. They're responsible for, for the plan of escape. They are the ones running from the light of Christ just like we did. And the truth be told, they're not running from you, but they're running from God. So what would God have us do? Stop? Give up? I don't think so. And as we look at the example of how he pursued us, he relentlessly pursued your heart. He did so relentlessly. He did not give up on you, believer. And so as it relates to us and us letting the light of Christ shine, don't, don't succumb to the temptation. Don't give in. Relentlessly, lovingly, and graciously pursue, pursue Pursue, keeping in mind that the light has a driving power and a drawing power. And over time, as we let the light of Christ shine, we may see both of them eventually at work in somebody's life, right? Initially, all it did was they ran from it. But in our faithfulness, in our persistence, May your own salvation and faith in Christ be a source of great encouragement that what God did for you in your life, He is perfectly capable of doing in a loved one or a co-worker or a fellow student's life as well. The reality is that we just need to walk in faithfulness and let the light of Christ shine. And this is a good transition to our second principle of application so that we shine the light of Christ more effectively in this dark and lost world. After we exalt the light of Christ by honoring its position, its purpose, its power, the Lord would have us steward the light's provision. Look at verse 23 in the beginning of verse 24. Here the Lord calls his disciples to listen with discernment. When he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. The emphasis on hearing occurs three times in, in the Greek, in these two verses. And this is a point that Jesus has emphasized time and time again. So evidently, it carries, it carries weight. 
We've seen it already used in the parable of the soils, and now we see it enforced here again in two remarkable expressions. If any man have an ear to hear, let him hear. Take heed to what you hear. I was thinking about this. We can only imagine some of the challenges that Jesus faced as the crowd would come to him. Some instances it was several hundred people, and then we have other instances with the, the, the miracle of the loaves, right? We know that he fed 4,000 at one point. We know that he fed 5,000 at another point. And all the time it involved him teaching. Even when they, they, they took a break for the food, the Lord Jesus Christ just relentlessly uh, pursued them and he preached the gospel of God to them. But keep this in mind. There were no nurseries to check in their, their infants and their toddlers when, they, they, when they're outside in these locations. And I often wondered, it's not recorded in the scripture, if, if Jesus at one point didn't rally his disciples, because you can only imagine with those who had multiple kids as they were trying to hear what the Lord Jesus Christ, if, if, if the Lord wasn't like, you know, hey Peter, why don't you take the kids and you know, go teach them a lesson on Jonah over over here. Now, I, I, I'm being serious. Something that would have would help them. Why? Because there were all types of distractions. You had people who were sick that were coming to that were that were probably had hacking coughs and who were pressing forward. Those who had leprosy, we know, were were pressing in just to find access to Jesus. And then you had those people who were probably talking in the back of the crowd, only interested in when they were going to eat. And Jesus called them to listen and to take heed to what they were hearing. And sometimes Victoria has to do this with me, with my ADD attention span. And she'll stop me and she'll say, honey, I, I need you to listen to me. Listen to me. Anyone else? Any other brave soul want to raise your hand and say that's happened to you? Right? In a, in a, in a, in a relationship where when, when somebody does that, when they say, listen, I need you to listen to me. Why do they do that? Why do they say that? Because in their estimation, what they're about to share with you is something that is very important. And the Lord Jesus Christ keeps doing this repeatedly. And he's doing it for the reason that what he is sharing, in fact, we can say it this way, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more that needs to be understood than the message of truth that he's communicating. It needs to be heard. I think this is another principle of wisdom that we can apply when we witness to family and friends. And depending on the size of your family and your gathering over the holidays, you know, I'm one of eight kids. And so when all the nieces and the nephews and everybody gathered, we have, I mean, we rent a hall. We, we rent a facility to, to meet at because nobody's house can contain the cricks. And so it's just the, it's just the, the way it is. But, but sometimes there's so much craziness, right? There's so much activity going on. You have, and sometimes there's lepers and sick people walking around too, right? So, well, I had a sister, this is being recorded. I'm reminded of that. Um, but but you see, what, what, her family, they had the stomach flu. They had the stomach flu and they ended up showing up for you know, the Christmas gathering. And lo and behold, 19 other people ended up with, this stomach flu, and 
you know, even though they did their best not to spread that love, the love that we don't want to spread. But, 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 the, but the reality is, is that as it relates to you sharing the truth of the gospel, there might be people who are, you know, just as maybe you're asked to pray and you want to take the time and you have people who are talking in the back because what all they want to do is eat. Jesus was dealing with the same thing, right? And you know what you can do? You can be strategic. You can do what our, our, our Lord Jesus Christ did. And said, listen to me. I need you to listen to me. Can we step outside just for a minute? You know that you have been on my heart a lot. The Lord just has, has me praying for you a lot. I want you to know that. I love you. And you share the gospel. You shine the light of truth. Or you share your testimony. You know, I, I'm... I'm I, I, I get this sense that somehow you think that I might be better than you or as a Christian I've made myself feel like I'm better. I am no better than you. Let me just tell you that. I'm not. I'm a wicked, desperate sinner who needed the grace of God and forgiveness. And I want to share that if you'll turn to Christ, if you'll, if you'll go all in with the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll ask Him to forgive you, He will. And if you'll commit your life to Him, that you will be born again and your life will take on brand new meaning and purpose, and you'll be able to live in such a way that not only will you be able to give him glory, but there will be blessing in your life. I see your life. I see how hard your life is. And that's why I pray for you. That's just an example. Maybe it's somebody that you've already had the opportunity to share the gospel with, and you just want to make it a point just to have a follow-up conversation just to see how they're doing. Can we meet for breakfast tomorrow morning before the kids wake up or before my kids get up or your kids get up? Can we just connect without disruption? I just want to see how you're doing. You know, last time, last Christmas or two years ago when so-and-so died, we had the opportunity to hear the gospel. What are your thoughts? Have you thought any more about it? No, not not really. I need you to listen to me. (laughs) I need you to listen. I need you to listen to me. And step into that role that God would have for us, our pleading role. Now, to be fair to our context and our parable, Jesus is calling people to respond to the truth of what he is sharing. His call to listen with discernment is really probing their hearts to respond to the truth of his person and his message. Hearing the truth of the gospel is the principal avenue through which grace is conveyed to the soul of man, right? It is. Faith comes by hearing. Romans 10, 17. One of the first steps towards conversion is to receive from the Holy Spirit an ear that is capable of hearing. Seldom are men brought to repentance and faith in Christ without hearing. Even Paul reminds the Ephesians of this in chapter 1, verse 13, when he says, You also trusted after you heard the word of truth. So this parable is calling listeners to steward the light of Christ first by listening with discernment. And then our Lord encourages their stewardship by applying, having them apply what they heard with diligence. Look at the middle of verse 24 and 25. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. 
And whoever does not have, even that, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Now I know at first glance, and if you're reading that for the first time here today, um, that, that, that's, it, it gets a little tricky, but if you'll spend some time just looking at it, it it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense. Here Jesus is using an old Jewish proverb, and it occurred in a variety of forms. And the, the main thing that we have to keep in mind as we look at this is that we have to understand it in a gospel context. Jesus is saying, the measure of truth that you have heard and applied will assist your understanding of the mystery of the kingdom. And this is true of this parable and all the parables in our immediate context of chapter 4. Listen to how James Edwards explains it when he says, The degree to which one hears the parables, the extent to which one allows the kingdom of God to break upon oneself will determine the measure of one's understanding. Those who hear, those who knock until the door is opened will find the kingdom disclosed to them. But those of a hurried search whose knock at the door of life is tentative or brief will find a once joyous invitation to enter the kingdom to have faded into a mirage of disbelief. End quote. And this is also what Jesus tried to convey earlier in the parable of the soils, right? That, that, that there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's going, going to be heart responses. But as it relates to, um, and let me just say this. If you're, if you're someone here and, and you haven't trusted in Christ, let me just say, and there are people who have tried to share uh, Christ, or, or maybe you have somebody in mind in your own family, right? When you compel them to listen, and if you're someone here today, I would compel you to listen. I would compel you and say, today is the day that, that, that you come to the light. I would plead with you. I would beg you that today would be that day. And let me just share this with you. There, there, there are limited opportunities. There are limited workers in the harvest. We're to even pray for workers to be sent out in the harvest. The number of times that people are going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel is very, very limited in many situations. And we should keep that in mind. The next time that we're debating like whether or not you know, there's the internal turmoil of fear of man or anything else, or is this really the right time? Should, should I do it now or should I wait till later? Let me tell you, do it now. Do it now. By, by default, have it, our, our default system is to do it later. By default, our sin nature and our self-focus and our procrastination would have us push it off. But we shouldn't wait. We shouldn't wait. We should declare it. We should declare it. Those to whom the mystery of the kingdom of God is given in Jesus will receive even greater capacity to comprehend it and enter it. On the other hand, those who fail to receive the light of Christ will discover that even the little truth that they once had access to will have it taken away from them. And that's the truth. That's the nature of what takes place when the light of Christ shined in our lives uh, as, as believers. Not only did, we, uh, did the light of salvation enter in, but we also we were given so much more, right? 
just as it relates to how to live and how to grow, the light giver continues, the lamp continues to give off more and more light to us in a measure of grace. Even more light comes afterwards, teaching us how to live and to glorify God. Well, to conclude this message today, I thought I would share some encouraging words from a young theologian who recently inspired me in a video. And so I just want to go ahead and have you take a look. It's going to come up here. My reason for sharing this video is because as a father, I took pleasure. I took pleasure in what I saw. It, it, it pleased me. And even though her four-year-old, soon-to-be-five-year-old mind doesn't fully grasp what it means to let the light of Christ shine, it pleased me to see that there was promise there. But let me tell you, believer, that when you let the light of Christ shine, that our Father in heaven takes pleasure in you. He does. When you exalt the light to its proper place, when you exalt its purpose and its power, when you steward the light and the ministry of reconciliation that's been entrusted to you to proclaim, He takes great pleasure in you. He does. A young boy of about nine went with his parents to Europe one summer. Part of their tour included visits to the great old cathedrals of the past. As he visited cathedral after cathedral, he saw the massive stained glass portraits of the disciples and of other saints. He was very impressed as he stood in these great empty halls looking through the beautiful stained glass windows. Upon returning to his church, he was asked by a Sunday school teacher about the great churches of Europe and what he liked most. He thought for a moment and he said, I love seeing the awesomeness and the hugeness of who God must be shown by the saints. And what is a saint? His teacher asked next. His mind went back to those massive, beautiful stained glass windows and he said, a saint is a person the light shines through. That is a good definition of what a saint of God is supposed to be. We have no light of our own. Right? Just like the sun that, that shines and reflects off the moon, that provides light. So it is with Christ in our lives. And we simply reflect His light through us. I pray that your heart has been encouraged and prepared to minister to your unsafe family and friends, neighbors, coworkers, students, whoever it might be this holiday season. And that God will use your efforts to let the light of Christ shine so that he can get glorified in the greatest possible way. All right, let's pray together. Merciful Father, we rejoice that you would allow us to make a preemptive strike this morning as it relates to heart preparation, as it relates to being prepared to continue to be ambassadors for Christ for your namesake, and for your glory. And there are so many things that serve as impediments to us being effective in that way. The world is throwing distraction after distraction, disruption after disruption. 
and yet you know this. Nobody knew this better than your son who came and graciously taught, who battled with the, the distracted crowds, who had to summon them to listen time and time again. And Father, I just rejoice in you that you have put people in this church that are attentive to the sound of your voice, that are listening, that are willing, that are eager to serve you and serve your purposes. And it's not always the case. We fall short time and time again, but each day provides a measure of grace, a new opportunity for us to be faithful to you and to your gospel. And we ask that you would embolden us even this week as Thanksgiving comes and we have access to those that we know for a fact are on their way to hell. They're hellbound. They're hellbound to an eternal destiny without you. And the only way that they will be saved is if they come to the light. If they acknowledge the supremacy of the lamp, the one and only lamp, the one who said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. Father, help us to walk in faithfulness. Help us to kill our fear of man. Help us to love well, to serve well, to teach well, and to reach well with our love. Thank you for the timeliness of this passage that we would study this right before we launch into the holiday season. We give you praise and thanks. We ask you to bless the remainder of our second hour and encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.